0: Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say.
1: Hello, this is Marie Brown, Manager of Professional Education. In celebration of Speech Pathology Australia's 70th anniversary, I would like to introduce our listeners to the Association's Chief Executive Officer, Gail Mulcair. Welcome and thank you for speaking with me today, Gail.
0: Thanks, Marie. It's great to chat to you. And I hope that on the eve of the Association's official 70th anniversary, that members will be really interested in hearing of some of the developments and achievements over the time, uh, particularly in the last decade or so, where we've had significant growth and milestones.
1: We certainly have had significant growth, and you and I were only chatting the other day about the amount of time that you've spent in the role as SPA CEO. Mm.
0: As Speech Pathology Australia CEO, I've been in the role for just over 15 years, but in the profession for 40 years this month, or perhaps 44 years if I include my four years undergraduate trainee, and actually saying that makes me feel pretty old, um, but I've loved and still love my profession I'm incredibly proud of our profession and the work speeches do. Um, And I guess I'm a bit of a speech pathology zealot and proud to be. Speech pathology is very much part of my core, what makes me professionally.
1: That's an enormous achievement to have been in the role for that amount of time, Gail, because it demonstrates that um, that you've succeeded in growing right alongside the association and uh, it certainly has grown. Do you recall how many members SPA had when you commenced in the role as CEO? Uh,
0: Well, when I started as CEO in 2004, we had just under 3,500 members. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was around 3,400 And we would have been described then as a smallish allied health profession compared to others like physio and OT. So, how many members do we have today, Gail? Now we've got almost 10,000 members, which is around a threefold increase which is a significant level of growth. Um, And I think this is partly to do... Well, I know it's partly to do with the overall growth of the profession, including a significant increase in the number of training programs, particularly in the last five to ten years. Um, But I also feel it reflects that our members see the value of being part of the association, Mm -hmm. being part of their profession. And the association is only as strong as its member base So our growth is also reflected in the greater level of advocacy and influence that we've been able to achieve.
1: Indeed. Okay, so can we now chat about you and how you got here as
0: our CEO of the association? Okay, as as I mentioned, I've been in the profession for quite some time uh, and worked clinically in the area of adult rehabilitation. I think as is the case for many you progress from being clinician to also being in management roles so as well as being the speech pathology manager I moved into a role as clinical director of a head injury unit at a rehabilitation centre uh, managing a large allied health team uh, which was an interdisciplinary team with Doctors, nurses and and allied health. I guess that led me to thinking more broadly around management and I pursued some studies in the area. First, a grad dip in management and then a Masters of Business. Um, But while I would have loved to have moved into a broader management role in my profession, in speech pathology, I initially went into a CEO role at a not-for-profit organisation which was the Nursing Mothers Association and now that's called Breastfeeding Australia. And after a couple of years, I had the chance to return to Allied Health uh, and was successful in taking on the role as Executive Officer at the Victorian Podiatry Association. I didn't know anything or or certainly not much about feet, uh, but the management and advocacy functions and skills, I hoped, were going to be transferable. Um, But as Speech Path was still my love, uh, I kept a lookout for the role at ASH, as we were called then, and then at Speech Pathology Australia, And after seven years with the podiatrists, I was really excited to be offered the position here as CEO, and it's been a great honour and privilege to be working with my own profession. Okay. So, Gail,
1: it's a unique role, isn't it, in the sense that you lead multiple audiences, because there's a team here at National Office, um, including staff based in other states. You hold a leadership role on the SPA board, Um, And most importantly, you're also leading 10,000 SPA members and representing the speech pathology profession within Australia. And in order to fulfil this enormous responsibility, clearly you need to have excellent leadership skills. I recently asked this of Tim Kittle, the SPA president, um, and
0: I'm curious to learn from you what you believe are the qualities that make a great leader. Yes, I listened to Tim's pod conversation, which was great. And I totally agree with him that caring for the people you work with is key and more broadly caring for the work that we do as speech pathologists Mm. and caring about the work we do at the association to support our profession. I have a strong view that to be a leader and manager of an organisation you need to have a passion for the goals of the organisation, the purpose of the organisation and what the organisation's aiming to achieve. For me, in my role, that's easy, as I've always had a strong passion and commitment to the profession. As I said before, speech pathology has been my profession and passion for 40-plus years. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. So so speaking to politicians and other stakeholders on this is quite clear, as it comes from my core beliefs in what we do and the outcomes for individuals and the community that speech pathologists Mm. help achieve speeches do positively change people's lives so that can be a really strong message. But there's a couple of concepts around leadership that have sat well with me both in my business management studies and and in my work and they're they're somewhat similar one being servant leadership espoused by Robert Greenleaf and stewardship is the other uh, written about by Peter Block who also wrote books like The Empowered Manager um, that you might be aware of people may have read that Um, both concepts in a sense have service at its core and in a position of leadership in an organization you have a duty to serve that organization and to serve the people working and volunteering within it And you need to be accountable and to act as a steward of the organisation. That's where the stewardship comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, So that the organisation fulfils its goals now and um, is held in good stead for the future. And I hope that the view of all of us at National Office acting in a role of service transcends into a strong customer, or or for us, member service Mm -hmm. culture. Uh, but strong leaderships across the profession and spa team as a whole. We have excellent leaders at all levels of the organisation. Our staff, the board and, and branches and all volunteers in particular roles and our clinicians and academics. Whatever the activity, we're, we're all advocates and leaders of our profession And what what do they say? A leader is only as good as the team or people they lead. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And I'm so fortunate to be working with such a talented and committed team. And just recently, I've been appointed as Chair of Allied Health Professions Australia, or ARPA, which is a further great honour. But again, this role will be supported by the excellent staff team at ARPA and the collective wisdom of the CEOs and chairs of all of the allied health professions who are members of ARPA.
1: And this brings me to a recent major milestone for Speech Pathology Australia and speech pathologists and their clients, and also you, both professionally and personally, when you delivered a speech at the United Nations in New York.
0: Uh, How did this seminal moment come about for you? Thanks, Marie. Uh, It was really an amazing opportunity and experience to place communication disability on the stage at one of the highest levels, being the United Nations. It was such a sense of achievement and also responsibility. Mm. Um, How we got there was a lot of thinking around how do we achieve better recognition and explicit attention around communication needs within both international conventions and our own Australian legislation or ACTS. It's a very long two or three or more year story, but I will try to cut it down to a shorter answer. Um, We've been advocating for some time around communication being a basic human right. Mm -hmm. This has been part of the association's advocacy messages for for quite some time, as well as it being central to the activities of the International Communication Project, or ICP, um, and the countries involved in, in the ICP. Part of the ICP work has been how to bring communication disability to the fore with bodies like the UN and the WHO, the World Health Organization. And around the same time, Professor Sharon McLeod had the foresight to propose a special issue of the IJSLP around the 70th anniversary of the Declaration of Human Rights. And this went on to being an excellent platform to continue the discussion around communication as a basic human right, and also served to open up discussions with those who had been involved in the UN's Conference of States Parties to the Convention of the Rights of Persons with Disability. And this led us to plan to attend the conference and aim to host a session, which are called Side Events on the Needs and Rights of Those with Communication Disability. But we learnt that firstly we needed to become an accredited NGO to the Conference of State Parties before we could request a side event. Um, So we had to make a a formal application to do that. And both um, Speech Pathology Australia and the Royal College of Speech Language Therapists were successful in becoming accredited in 2018, last year, which then led us to jointly propose a side event in conjunction with the ICP. But what was great was that through our contact and discussions with the Australian Human Rights Commission and the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, they gave us terrific encouragement and supported us for the event to be sponsored by the Australian government. We also then became part of the official delegation from Australia to the UN. In the end, not only did we conduct a successful side event involving people with communication disability, but the association was able to secure giving a short address at the general debate session and also at the civil society forum, which precedes the conference itself. Mm. Belinda Hill, one of our vice presidents, mm. and myself delivered these presentations, which are called interventions, all new language we had to learn. Mm. They were strictly three minutes only, and they literally turn off the microphone if you go over, um, and hence the somewhat rapid-sounding delivery of the presentations. Uh, So our presence at this conference resulted in there being three occasions where communication disability in its own right, and for the first time, had the spotlight shone on it at this very global platform level. And we're hoping to repeat and build on these activities next year, potentially again in New York at the UN at the same conference. And we're also looking at appropriate activities with the WHO. Okay, so um, let's talk about
1: Speech Pathology Australia's 70th anniversary. Uh, 70 years is a really long time, especially in, in business. What do you see as the association's greatest achievements
0: over those 70 years? Okay, so perhaps I'll start with a very brief recap to explain how the 70th anniversary has come about, what that means. The pioneers of speech pathology in Australia started their representation on having a speech therapy profession in Australia as early as uh, late 1920s and early 1930s, where a very small number of people, mostly trained in the UK, such as Eleanor Ray, began to practice in Melbourne and Sydney and then later in Queensland. New South Wales and Victoria had some form of a state association in the early 1940s. However, it was in 1949 that the official national body for speech therapists in Australia came into being, called then the Australian College of Speech Therapists, and hence the 70th anniversary this year in 2019. And and it's interesting that the Royal College of Speech-Language Therapists in the UK will be celebrating their 75th anniversary next year, which means we're actually not that far behind them. On our website we have history documents which were created to celebrate our 50th anniversary and then our 60th anniversary, so I won't go over those. But in the current Speak Out issue, we've focused on the achievements over the most recent decade to bring our history up to date. And a new poster is being developed, which we'll um, release soon. But it's interesting to know that while there's been progressive changes and developments over the whole of the 70 years, particularly around training and standards Mm -hmm. setting, the pace of change seems to have really accelerated uh, and with certain significant undertakings having occurred in the last 10 years. So to name but a few, and I have got a very small list, uh, we of course have had the Federal Senate through its Community Affairs References Committee uh, and they agreed to run an inquiry into the prevalence of different types of speech, language and communication difficulties and speech pathology services in Australia. To have this focus led by the federal government was was amazing Uh, and it gave us the opportunity to speak to so many ministers and shadow ministers and departmental officials across the country. And while we didn't necessarily get the outcomes we would have liked, speech pathology was placed firmly on the government agenda through this process and I feel the needs of those with communication disorders better understood and recognised. For example, one thing that was was helped through the inquiry was having the Australian Bureau of Statistics agree to publishing a specific report on Australians living with communication disability. And the inquiry itself continues to be a really useful reference point and was also well supported by many consumers and stakeholders. And we've just talked about the presentations at the United Nations this year, which naturally is also a real standout of achievements in the recent years, if not perhaps uh, the most significant advocacy event Mm -hmm. promoting communication needs across all of this time. This year also marked some significant work in the terms of reconciliation, Mm -hmm. with our then-National President, Gaynor Dixon, formally giving an apology from the Association to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, Um, at, at our national conference and this coincided with the development of our reconciliation action plan. And then another clear standout was the extensive consultation around what our profession wishes to be like in 2030 culminating in the launch of the report speech pathology 2030 making futures happen. The profession was so engaged in the whole process that it's really a document owned and lived by the profession. It was a landmark project that identified the vision of the profession and eight key aspirations for how we will reach our vision. And it's a living, breathing document which has set the blueprint for the profession into the future and it's now embedded in many ways but in much of the association's work and directions. Now let's talk
1: about your vision for the future then, Gail. Uh, you've very successfully led us for 15 years and um, hopefully there's going to be many, many more to come. Where would you like
0: to see the speech pathology profession in the next 15 years? Hmm, okay, so having just spoken about speech pathology 2030, I guess we have a strong sense of where the profession will be heading, uh, where it wants to head and how we wish the profession to be and 2030's only 10 years away now um, and no doubt it's going to come around really quickly. For me, from my perspective, I have very high hopes that the profession will continue to grow and extend its impact more broadly across um, the whole of society. I see that the profession will be recognised as an essential profession, one that is core in all health, disability or education teams which not only serves to optimise the health and education on social outcomes for individuals, but also utilised at a whole of population level mm. with involvement in universal and population health programs and services, including the infant health and early childhood space as, mm. as examples. And speech pathologists will be central in mental health, justice mm. and social care services, particularly in terms of people living in disadvantage and our aging population will have ready access to speech pathology to support their quality of life um, while they're able to uh, live well in communication accessible settings and we'll also be partnering closely with a range of professionals from different sectors and industries and will be innovative in our clinical and service models Mm -hmm. so that's what I'd like to see and I'm sure we can get there And dare I dream, a speech pathologist will become the Prime Minister. It's certainly not going to be me, but we have so many capable people in the profession who would be great. So wouldn't that be amazing? Mm. And the bonus, at least they'd know what we do and how fabulous we are.
1: Indeed, indeed. Well,
0: thank you so much, Gail, for speaking with us. It's been lovely chatting with you today. Thanks, Marie. Actually, that was fun and went quite quickly. For members listening, thanks very much for your interest and please also have a look out for an email from our President, Tim Kittle, which will outline details of how you can access our 70th Anniversary Commemorative Pack. Uh, There's some goodies in the pack. And also to how to view our updated history poster, which will be on the website. Thanks once again, Marie, and thanks, everyone. Thanks, Gail. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.